Hi. So am I. You probably are too. I know how you chill annoyants are. Today's episode features a pre-recorded conversation with Jordan Davidson. I recently became aware of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, or SAM. According to their Wikipedia page, SAM advocates for civil penalties for cannabis use, what they call decriminalization, along with mandated treatment, prevention, education, and awareness. Today's episode will include discussion that will surely intrigue our audience. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we have our fair share of complaints regarding the commercialization of cannabis. It's far from perfect. At the end of the day, our primary focus is on the depenalization of cannabis. It simply should not be a crime to possess or cultivate cannabis. Allow me to read a quote that I found on the internet that's been attributed to Thomas Jefferson. Let me reiterate, I found this on the internet, and there's no guarantee that these words were ever spoken, written, or tweeted by Thomas Jefferson. In any case, I think this makes sense. Quote, Liberty is unobstructed action according to our will, but rightful liberty is unobstructed action according to our will within the limits drawn around us by the equal rights of others. I do not add within the limits of the law, because law is often but the tyrant's will, and always so, when it violates the right of an individual." Unquote. Don't forget to enter to win a Chillinois t-shirt that was signed by cannabis legend Tommy Chong, who you might know from Cheech and Chong. It's free to enter and win. Just go to chillinoinet slash Chong before February 16th of 2022. Once again, we'll be drawing winners on February 16th, so make sure to go to chillinoinet slash Chong before then for your chance to win. We'll be giving away shirts for all sizes, so be sure to enter. I want you to notice that this was a conversation and not an argument, and that's what I appreciated most about my time with Jordan. I've invited Jordan back onto the podcast, so stay tuned for future follow-ups. Thank you all for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Chillinois. Today, I'm sitting with Jordan Davidson. Uh, Jordan, go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience of the Chillinois podcast. Uh, hey, uh, my name is Jordan Davidson, and, and thank you so much, Cole, for hosting me on, on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, yeah, so I'm Jordan, and I'm the Communications and Legislative Affairs Officer for Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Um, I'm also a young person in addiction recovery um, from cannabis use disorder specifically. Um, I've been working in marijuana policy for a little bit over two years now, um, and I have a little bit over three years of sobriety. So, yeah. Well, good for you on this on sobriety. Congratulations on that. Thank um, you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And if you're comfortable, I think it would be cool to talk, uh, like important, I don't mean to say cool, important to talk about, uh, you know, maybe your struggle with cannabis use disorder. It's a topic we've discussed on the show before. So, yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to talk about it. Um, I, I think it's helpful. You know, I like to talk about it because I find it really helpful for other people. It's, it's a topic that I'm glad that you've covered, but I feel like oftentimes goes uncovered, um, especially in the policy space. Um, and I've personally, my personal life, I've found that 
people are a lot more open actually about their struggles, whether it's with marijuana or other substances or any other kind of mental health problems when I open up myself. So um, yeah, when I was, was you know, 15 or so, I, I smoked my first joint. Um, I like to talk about it as a funny experience because it was actually almost straight out of a movie. I was at a music festival and I was in a tent and they were passing around a joint with an acoustic guitar. <laughs> it was it was so picturesque. It was crazy. Um, and, you know, it was, it, it, then I started smoking a little bit more on and off. And, and then when I hit you know, around my, around my junior year of high school, things really started to spiral out of control for me. Um, so you were like 17, 18, probably then? Yeah. Yeah. So I was around yeah. 17. Um, when I was 16, I started using more heavily. And then when I was 17, I really started to use uh, a lot more heavily. Um, and I was, you know, I became, so I, I realized that basically I was actively self-medicating, right. For, for some personal problems I was having. I had anxiety issues and I would sit there and I would be like going to dinner, even simple things, right? Is a lot easier stoned, right? Everything, it feels easier. And um, for, for me, that felt like a positive thing. Um, but I became incredibly dependent on it um, to do everything. You know, I was driving under the influence. I was doing everything. I was, I was, you know, going to jobs under the influence. I was going to school under the influence um, and it became something that I couldn't live without. And really the problem for me um, became that I, I shifted away from using, from, you know, smoking joints and bongs and bowls, uh, just like bud, right? I then transitioned really to almost exclusively actually using carts, right? So for high potency, like vaporize it, like vapes, right? Um, and that, you know, the potency can go from, you know, 90 to even 99% um, on those uh, devices. And it was so easy to get really, really high and also to do discreetly. You know, when you have, when you have to, when you use bud, um, when you, you know, go, sometimes you have to go out into the woods if you're like in high school. Kind of spray very, off. Yeah, exactly, exactly, right? Yeah. Um, but for that, you can do it in your room why you can it do away. it in the classroom. That's how in I classroom, right? <laughs> and teachers won't notice, right? Teachers, they wouldn't know. So for me, it became actually it was out of almost necessity that I started using it uh, because I had to fuel my addiction. Um, and it got so bad for me that um, I was doing uh, there's like I think actually a term is like crack wiring. That's the term they call it now. I don't know if you're familiar with that. You, you like it's it's like when your pen dies, you have to cut a USB cord, and then you basically peel back the layers of the USB, and they have four different colored wires, and you twist them together, and by plugging them into like your MacBook, you can actually light like like power up your cart without a pen. That's how I was smoking, <laughs> right? That's how I was doing. It, it was literally like I, uh, you know. It, it, it was crazy. Um, and so long story short, um, I, I lost, I became to drift. I grew distant from my close friends. They tried to hold an intervention for me because they noticed I'd become really different. They tried hiding things. I'd break into their rooms. I'd get really angry. I would steal their own stashes. I, if I couldn't, I would stay up all hours of the night waiting for people to drop off stuff because I couldn't go to sleep without it. 
Um, I would get really, really belligerent and just felt like I had ants crawling all over my body when I, when I, when I was trying to go to sleep and I didn't have it. And it, it, it was an every day, multiple times a day for a long time for me. And people started telling me, Jordan, like my, my girlfriend at the time, right. Told me Jordan, like it's either me or this, right. My friends were telling me it's either, it's either like the old you, the person we knew or, or you fueling your addiction. And thankfully for me, I also have a mom who is, has 35 plus years of sobriety and who I felt like was really supportive. And so I had the, a really lucky to have a support system in place. And I felt like I could ask for help and I asked for help and I went to rehabilitation, 12 step meetings and got the help that I needed right before starting right before my 18th birthday. Gotcha. Well, again, congrats on, on sobriety. And if, if I could just ask, cause I'm glad you pointed out like, uh, like what the issues became because uh I was gonna say like you were like well I'm going to school I'm going to work I'm going to I'm doing life high and uh some people might be listening and being like what's the problem with that right Right. but you I'm glad you pointed out that you were uh it was causing issues with your relationship uh relationships with people um causing issues with your mood sounded like you were even having like physical symptoms. You know, I was, and and, and I'll tell you the thing that broke it for me was I felt like I had hit a bottom. um, When I I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I, and I didn't recognize the person looking back. I, I was more than 20 pounds thinner than I, than I was now. It's actually funny. So people have this idea, right? Like you smoke a lot of weed and like you get the munchies and, and you saw it and kind of there's the idea of almost like, I think a chubby kind of stoner just sits around and eats a, a, a lot of stuff and pizza and, and, and actually, so it's, it's funny for some people when they smoke a, like a lot and it becomes problematic, they actually don't eat at all. And that's, I couldn't, when I got into first got into sobriety, I couldn't even eat half a sandwich a day. Um, so I, I was really skinny. I was pale. I felt like I didn't recognize myself and Look, I'm someone who's like I'm I'm an agnostic. I'm not super religious. Um, I pretty much since I was like maybe a little little kid never have been. But what I'll, what I say to people is, I didn't believe in any sort of spirituality um, until I felt like I had like I didn't believe souls exist until I felt like I had lost mine going through that process of addiction. And that's the best way I describe it: feeling like a hollow, a shell of myself. Um, and I couldn't live with that. I I couldn't go another day feeling like that. Um, yeah, that's the biggest kind of symptom, I guess, of problem. And no one likes feeling like that. <laughs> so yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Those are those are very real things. Hey, I think that your mic is picking up your heat now. By the oh, way, okay, yeah. Let me turn that off really quick. Sorry. No problem, man. No problem. I think it's just it it like that your microphone like knows to cancel it out when it's background noise, but when you start talking, it has trouble differentiating okay. what what is and isn't background noise. So yeah, it sounds better. Okay. Now. Cool. Um so so yeah, and hopefully you don't get too cold over there. <laughs> no, 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 I'll be good. I'll be good. It's you cool. Well, hey, I've I've only got one last like question about like just like your like your history with it. It sounded like your friends didn't really they weren't supportive of it. Was it a lot like, so you started at a music festival and was a lot of like your use in secret, like, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So, so like, so it, it's, it's, it's funny how that you asked that. So the start of my youth really wasn't because 
I had um, a few friends who had gotten really into smoking and were basically just stoners at that point. And they kind of introduced me really. I mean, that first time I said was at the music festival, but really my like introduction almost in a long-term way to like smoking um, and like, I guess learning like how to smoke, right? Was with, uh, with, with some close friends. Um, and, it, you know, so, so, so in that way, I guess you could say it was a little bit enabled. But um, then I had a lot of other friends. Most of my friends really weren't into it or as into it as I was. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times when you get into addiction, um, you, you kind of have start to get new friends, <laughs> um, friends that are going to fuel your habit. Um, and so, for example, my dealer, right? Like I would, it's, it sounds awful. Like I don't like to think of myself as like a fake person at all, right? But in my addiction, like I'd basically go to my dealer and act so, so tight with him and like, like always trying to hang out with him, trying to kind of be really It's nice literally a plot point out of uh, Pineapple Express. You know what I mean? Literally. And um, it's, uh, and, and like, and he would give me free stuff. And so mm-hmm. I'd be like, he'd smoke me up and I'd be like, great. Like, I'm going to keep being this guy's friend. And my best friends in many years, I would want to hang out way less than my dealer. Right. <laughs> so, so, so that kind of became the the dynamic. And then my, for my old friends who didn't, who weren't really into it, were just like, what's 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 happening like we just don't recognize this guy yeah yeah well thanks for going through that um and uh you know again i just want to say congrats now can i ask this question it'll be a little weird but like is it uh just sobriety against like uh, for cannabis or do you use other uh, yeah like like do you drink alcohol or yeah no that's a that's a good question so so i don't so i'm completely abstinent from all substances um and uh, like oh, you're right, all intoxicating substances. Um, and the way that I approach it um, is that, like, abstinence for me is the way to go. Um, the and and I, I generally believe that abstinence is the best option for people who do struggle with addiction. Um, when I was in uh, Narcotics Anonymous, I had a sponsor, and he once told me that switching drugs is like switching seats on the Titanic. Right, you're always you're still going down. Um, so the way I think about it is, yes, marijuana was my drug of choice, but that doesn't mean that I only had one beer, right? So when, whenever I drink, I, so, so for me too, alcohol is also a part of my story. My, 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 my dad, who does drink just very like, casually, like a glass of wine and I has never had any issues. He had like in the basement of our house, like a bunch of just alcohol. Maybe it was even like 10 years old, you know, stuff someone gave him a while ago, drank half of it, and just never touched it again. And when I didn't have marijuana, that's what I would use. I would sneak down um, to my to, to my basement, and basically drink alone, like in the middle of the night. Um, and and it's and it's funny because this just shows kind of the. I tell this this small story because it shows the denial. Denial is a huge part of addiction. So what I used to do was I used to sneak down to the basement alone, and I used to drink. I used to take a bunch of different stuff, just drink it straight out of the bottle, and. I would tell myself, this is enough. I'm going to go back upstairs. And it was, my house was really creaky. So my parents, there was risk of them hearing me walking the halls at you know, three in the morning. They'd be like, what the hell's going on? Um, and so I, I went down there and I would tell myself, I'm just going to go back up. And by going back up, I know I'm not going to go down again and get more. And by the end of the night, I will have gone up and down four times. Instead of sitting there and drinking a lot, I would tell myself, nope, I can cut it. I can cut myself off. But when I wasn't laying in bed drunk enough, I would just go back down because I'm like, you know, it's worth the risk, and, and this will be the last time. It was, it was, it was pure madness. The definite, what do they say? The definition of insanity is like doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. 
it, yeah. it was insanity. Um, yeah. so, so, so that's my relationship with other substances. And so cut it all out. Yeah. Well, i I feel like this might be not a rhetorical question, but I feel like I may know the answer to this question, okay. but let, lest I assume, do you still, do you still struggle with, uh, do you still struggle? Yeah. Just like generally, you mean just in, just, yeah, just in you. general. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I know that that's a really like kind of a personal question, yeah. but like no, 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 uh, no, no. the temptation, like, does that, you know? So, okay. So, so, so I'm in, I'm in college right now, right? So I'm, I'm in college. I've been sober throughout all my college career um, or like my time in college. Um, so Which is me, not something most people in college. Say. Not most people <laughs> so, okay. So for me, what I'll say is this. for me, um, I, I feel like I don't struggle as much, honestly. Um, and that's because I'm really comfortable in my sobriety. Um, I've always been a really outgoing person. I'm just like on the more extroverted side. So, you know, going out to, I've gone out to clubs, right, in college, and I can have a really great time without any, without any substances. Um, I, I can do that. And also, the lucky thing for me is I stopped at such a young age that, you know, if you get to, you know, 50 years old, and you've been drinking your whole life, or you've been doing some drugs your whole life, um, your, your entire, almost your whole life has been, has revolved around that, and you don't know how to live otherwise, right? I'm lucky that I stopped at a point where I was, I, I remembered how to live, right? I, I, I wasn't living my entire life using substances. And that was really something in my, in my favor. Um, and that's why I really advocate for young people who struggle to get into recovery, because if you can get in, in recovery young and stick with it for a little bit, um, it becomes, I think, exponentially easier. But there are moments where I do get temptations, right? There are, there are those moments where I do, and I just, I just have to say, hey, like, what's, okay, so option A, I drink or smoke something tonight and wake up tomorrow everything would be ruined, right? Because it's not only like, I would probably go back to that, but it's like, I built up now over three years of rebuilding trust with my family, like rebuilding trust with my friends, right? Like I'm in a serious relationship now, like that would totally damage that. It would damage everything in my life, like my work, right? Like it would, like, like it's not worth it um, for me. Like I love the life I live now. Um, so in that way, um, I feel like I'm in a good place and also I have a good network support around me but there are moments where you do struggle and you have to just have the strategies to move through through those moments without giving into any of those temptations and that's what i wanted to ask that's what i why i asked that like if it, i figured you did like i started the question i figured i knew the answer but i was looking to see if if you had yeah. any like tips or tricks for folks yeah. that, that oh yeah do. Totally. so you know so if you're if you're struggling, it's uh, the the thing that I and I learned this in rehab and in twelve step programs. Um, the but but this applies to everything, right? They really teach you um, a couple of key things. One is um, a lot of times people might say, "Oh, kind of screw it, I'll just go back to it," and they do it in a way that they're almost beating themselves up. They feel guilty. They feel bad about their life. They feel down. Um, you know, that they've ruined stuff and why not, why not just, just kind of go all for it. And so uh, one phrase that I've used and that's helped me a lot is uh, put down the bat and pick up a feather. Right. And what that means is like, don't beat yourself up with, with a baseball bat, right? Like, like if you're going to beat yourself up, do it with a feather. Like you can go through the process of rebuilding your life, but don't be overly guilty about, about things because that can just be really harmful to to any sobriety or any recovery work that you're doing the second thing which is the most important thing i think is um to to actually 
it sounds dumb at first, but live in the moment. And what I mean by that is actually like takes things one day at a time. So a strategy that they teach people um, in a lot of just recovery circles is uh, you can even trick yourself. So this is what I did in early recovery. I said to myself, do you know what? Tomorrow I can wake up and go drink. Tomorrow I can wake up and smoke. I have the freedom and to do that. But today I'm not going to do it. I will promise myself today for the next minute, hour, you know, 24 hours. I'm not going to do that. 24 hours later, let's reassess. If you tell yourself that every 24 hours and even try and trick yourself, it sounds crazy that you could, but you actually can. Um, then you get start to get 60, 90, you know, 180 days. And you're like, whoa, wait, I've actually adapted my life to live without this. Maybe I don't need it. And you don't need to do that anymore. So those are a couple of kind of ideas that help me get through um, struggling moments and still do today. Thanks for sharing, Jordan. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Well, um, you know, unless you feel like there's anything else important to mention about you, I wanted to talk about Sam. You mentioned yeah. Sam earlier, um, but just, you know, if, if anything else I get like uh, you're, so you're going through college. I was trying to pick up by the way you're talking. Some people are going to disagree with what I'm about to say. Um, you don't have an accent. That's what they're going to disagree with me on. Cause I think that the way uh -huh. I speak, the way I speak, I think I don't have an accent, but then, then of course, if you're like from a Southern state, you might think that like, that's the way everybody talks. So I don't have it. Where are you from? So <laughs> I actually think you have kind of an accent. The funny think thing. so? Is that, there you it's go. Great Midwest. I hear it. I hear it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I am from originally from Connecticut. Um, but so like just what I think is the standard. Like I think people from even from like the West Coast can kind of talk. I feel like I have a very standard American accent that can yeah. wear. Um, but uh, I'm from Connecticut originally. Um, and now actually I, my family, like I, we moved to Washington, D.C. So I'm in Washington, D.C. right now. Um, and I live here full time. Yeah. Damn, son. That's cool as hell. Yeah. And I, the so I actually go to, I go to American University. Um, so, so it's, it was like a total coincidence actually that my parents, like before I even got into like college, we decided to move down here. Um, so, uh, I'm here literally around the clock. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. I've been in that area before. I didn't go to DC. I was near, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, staying with, okay, with cool. a friend yeah. that lived in the area. Always wanted to go to DC. I think that if I ever go, I want to bring like and I know that, you know, somebody from DC, you're probably going to think, say I'm crazy, but I want to bring a motorcycle so that I can like pull off at the, whatever I want to see just real quick, take a picture, get back on and out. It's just so hard with a vehicle. It's actually not a bad idea. I yeah. will say it's really hard driving in DC. So if, if you're confident, but I actually have never thought of that's a, it's a pretty solid idea. Uh, in DC, we have the, do you know what I use a lot? We have those electric scooters. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, actually have a, we have mopeds that you can like rent. So you can huh. literally do that. Like even if you wanted to drive here, actually well, you can basically do that. That's very cool. I'm going to need to go there uh, uh, sooner than later. Yeah. Cause uh, DC, you know how it is. It's crazy. Yeah, super cool. but, uh, <laughs> what's that? Um, I said, I love DC. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Great city. Hell yeah. Well, Hey, Tell us a little bit about Sam. They do a lot of work in DC. Yeah. Uh, give us like a background. You know, I know right off the bat, my audience, uh, they see an organization called Smart Approaches to Marijuana and they're thinking, I know a smart approach to marijuana. Let's roll it up and smoke it. Or, <laughs> or they get really upset and they assume what you guys stand for. And so rather than assume, 
I thought I'd invite you, you know, you and um, in the future, I'd love to have more people from Sam to just tell us like what you guys do, what you stand yeah. for, how it started, all that stuff. So yeah, tell us about Sam. Yeah, and I appreciate you you, you wanting to bring us on. Um, so Sam is Smart Approaches to Marijuana, and um, we are a nonpartisan, um, nonprofit organization, um, and we view ourselves really as a public health organization. Um, uh, that's what we advocate for the most. Um, so we kind of offer uh, a middle ground perspective to marijuana. So we don't subscribe to the position that we should just throw marijuana users in jail and completely criminalize it. Um, but we also don't um, subscribe to the perspective that we should totally commercialize marijuana um, and legalize it and make it a kind of corporate monopoly environment like we've seen with alcohol and the tobacco industry. Um, our motto really is preventing the new big tobacco. Um, and so that means some you might say like, well, what do you guys stand for then? So we, at every, every step of the way, we push for research. So we want as much research on marijuana as possible um, and to do that in a bipartisan way um, in, 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 in the government and, and to just advocate for that in any way possible. Um, other things we push for is, you know, decriminalization of low level possession, right? Like we don't want people to have uh, criminal records for just possessing small amounts of marijuana. Um, if you want to have a little bit of weed and smoke it in, you know, the privacy of your own home, we like we we don't think anything should happen to you in a criminal way. Um, so we 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 really encourage that as well, um, and we just view ourselves as promoting science first. Um, you know, the scientific community is overwhelmingly medical association overwhelmingly actually against the legalization of marijuana. That doesn't mean that everyone's for complete criminalization, um, but we say that there's there's a middle ground, and often there's this false dichotomy that you either have to criminalize or you have to legalize. And we say no, that's not true. And actually, the best approach would be to do a middle ground option. Yeah. So let's let's talk about uh, that middle ground. Like like you said, um, you know, you're not necessary. You don't wish to see the continued uh, drug war. Right. Let's get that yeah. out of the way as we know it in the sense that, like you say, people are simply um, can be charged with a crime for simply possessing or using cannabis. So yes. it's not like you guys are from the reefer madness like, oh, you're no, gonna... no, 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 absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. So can I ask really quick right off the bat why? Um, well, first of all, before we I wanted to like you made a comment about uh, medical associations not supporting the commercialization of cannabis. I can give a few guesses as to why, but can you, uh, can you tell us maybe why meta like leading medical researchers, for example, do not support the legalization of cannabis? Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't want to speak for anyone in particular, um, but um, from, from my experience, um, a lot of the medical community, they see the, the health problems that are associated, especially with this new marijuana, right? The high potency uh, marijuana supercharged, really marijuana today is not Woodstock wheat, right? It's not what our parents were smoking or our grandparents were smoking. The, the maybe two to 5% THC um, that you're just smoking in a joint, right? Today you have like carts and you have dabs and you have all these other kind of products. You have really high potency edibles. 
And that has caused and posed a lot of health issues, especially to young people. Um, you know, just to name a few things, we have CHS, cannabinoid hypomesis syndrome, where people have um, bouts of vomiting and it actually can be lethal if you don't get help for it from chronic marijuana use. Um, marijuana use um, is associated oftentimes with higher rates of actually psychosis and schizophrenia in people. Um, and it's, it can have drastically mental health problems. Um, it actually can worsen depression. It can worsen anxiety. It can worsen PTSD, comp, you know, contrary to a lot of the popular culture belief. Um, so uh, medical associations that have done the research on this and really see this say, hey, let's, let's, let's not get carried away. Let's not move too fast with this. And we see what happens, right? What are the two most deadly drugs in American society, right? Cigarette, tobacco with cigarettes and alcohol. And those are two substances that are legal and that are commercialized. And so we don't wanna go down the same route as big tobacco and, uh, and big alcohol, which I will say are strongly in favor of legalization. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, right in Canada, um, as soon as they legalized, uh, you had Altria, the parent company of Marlboro. Investing Canopy. Bill yeah, uh, I think that owns Corona. Yeah, yeah, exa exactly. So, um, and yeah. you know, we have we have we have big players, and we have huge like lobbying forces too. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, John Boehner, like the former Republican Speaker of the House, mm -hmm. is, is 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 deep. We just we just had our we just had his company on our show. He's on the board yeah. of directors for right. uh, Acreage Holdings. Million, I think he stands to make twenty million or something dollars if they legalize. Yeah. Right? So. Uh, I mean, you have big money forces behind this and a lot of addiction for profit forces. And, and trust me, their goals are not to have more minority-owned businesses and um, you know, women-owned businesses and to have social justice initiatives. And you know, we we we've heard but they say that it is. But right, but they but they say but they say right, that right. I mean, my question no, is I, I uh, that's oh, a I joke. Know, no, our... I know you're saying it sarcastically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like my question is, you know. When has it ever been in the interests of a white male-led uh, corporate industry that are in the pockets of some of the most prominent politicians to do well by communities of color, by low-income communities, by right. the LGBT community? Um, I, I can't really think of one, and this isn't any different. Yeah, well, I, I said that joke because uh, our governor, J.B. Pritzker, announced, I think you can even still find uh, the web page. He says, uh, Illinois, you know, launched the most social equity centric uh, program. To this day, uh, 40 people have licenses. It's been two years, by the way. 40 yeah. people have licenses yeah. and they're not in operation. Um, and there are several other licenses held up. So the question has become, was the focus social equity and and everything else that's um kind of part of that picture leads me to believe that maybe no like as far as the the msos the multi-state operators some of these big companies they are allowed to have like two hundred thousand square feet meanwhile these social equity candidates are limited to five thousand square feet making it impossible to compete um yeah. You know what I mean? So it's interesting how, uh, like you say, these big money forces can um, pitch something on the guise of social equity, but then fail, uh, fail to deliver it. Yeah. Um, so um, you brought up a few different points. Um, I wanted to return to like the decriminalization for low level possession. You said like, that's something that Sam supports. I've, I've read about it online, decriminalization for low-level possession. You don't think that simple 
some people call it petty possession of cannabis should uh, result in a, like something that affects your life permanently, a criminal record, right? When it could have just yeah. been a mistake. Um, can I ask like, why low level? What's the, like, why that line? So and what is, what is that line to it? Yeah. Like is low level, like 15 grams or like, what is it? So low, so low level. Um, that's a good question. Um, I don't really, uh, I think, I think people might have different definitions of it. And I think it depends on like, like oftentimes also state by state, like what they're going to be looking to. Um, I'm blanking on the exact number we did, but we supported, like we helped write a decriminalization bill, for example, in New Jersey. Um, so I don't, I don't personally know, and I don't also want to speak for like every individual in my organization, what they would support as the line, but I, but I can definitely um, answer uh, about the uh, possession and why uh, one reason, especially why low level. Um, so it's, it's funny, uh, the, so in, when DC, uh, legalized possession, um, the, there was an interview done with a dealer and he said that it was that on the street, what they called it was, I think it was something, it was, don't, don't quote me on this, but it was something like this, like the dealer's protection act. And the reason that they said that was actually it fuels the underground market significantly, uh, to, increase to legalize or decriminalize at a really high um, level of possession. And the reason is because your dealer who was just able, who used to, you know, drop things at your house or, you know, do like a really kind of sneaky, right, meet up and go, go somewhere and meet in a car and you have to exchange things, right? Now they can walk down the street, walk by a cop and, you know, and, and, and have as much marijuana as they want on their persons and no one can do anything about it. So the, so the main concern really is about, is about dealers and distributors, right? They might not be caught in the act of actually dealing, but if they're just walking down the street with possession, even if it's with intent to sell, they can, they can do that. They, there's, there's nothing stopping them. Um, so, so when you, when you decriminalize low level possession, um, I think we're really uh, trying to protect people who really just have the intention of, they just want to smoke for whatever reason they want to smoke um, and, and not really, you know, drug dealers. Um, so that's, I think, one big piece of the puzzle. I bring it up just because, like, you know, look, uh, I think it's part of the Cole Memorandum. It wasn't named after me, folks. I make that joke every time. <laughs> um, the Cole Memo, I believe it's, it specifies that if states, that, and that's what we're kind of currently operating off of in spirit, that's what allows these cannabis businesses to continue is this, this memorandum. And uh, one, you know, there were a few like, it's like a box that they like defined like how you can do this. It happened around at the time that Colorado and Washington legalized. And one of the things they said was like, you know, prevent like, I think sales I'm totally going off the top of my head. I think prevention of sales to like youth, you know, there has to be like an ID system in place or whatever. Um, it can only be low level possession. I think that's what they mentioned. So that's, I think when we first started seeing possession limits, I think it's, it's from that. Um, and there was a few other things like, you know, you can't bring it out of state. It's got to stay yeah, in the right. state. Um so, so, but the thing is like, I, that's what I figured you meant by low level possession was like, maybe generally speaking, what States have come up, come up with, like, for, it's generally like an ounce, like 30 grams. That's usually what it is for like adult use. Um, it, it shifts per state. For example, Jordan, if you came here to Illinois, 
your possession limit would be 15 grams. It's half of an, of an in-state person. So it's kind of interesting how it works. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, I, the reason I ask this is because like, I just, I feel like possession limits don't really apply with any other drug that's in our country. Like I can go down to the liquor store right now and buy up the whole thing, uh, cigarettes included. And I just, I know that your mission is not to, uh, you know, treat the substances the same, but it's just like, you know, it just, it, that's always stuck out as weird to me that there is a limit. Like nobody, nobody's coming by my fridge and they're like, you've got too much beer in there. You know, you could be yeah, giving I mean, it to other people. Like, so, so I think, right. The goal of, you know, so it's, it's, it's this, like, there's this balancing act, right. Of, of how do you, um, and this is what our mission really is, right? We, like, we, you know, we don't want, especially young people using marijuana, right? So uh, how do you kind of uh, decrease maybe prevalence while also trying to stop the underground market? Um, how do you make it even like as, as, as safe as possible in many ways while trying to stop that? And our solution isn't legalization. We view that, you know, uh, if there's going to be a market, we, we underground market, we, we're going to try and limit it. So, so we're, we're all for limit, like limiting the black market and eliminating any black market as much as, as possible. Um, but to do that by, by just decreasing prevalence and not by fully commercializing the substance. Um, so we, we think that, you know, I think like having lower level uh, limits for possession would mean that there wouldn't be as much kind of grazing, um, drug dealing going on, uh, brazen drug dealing going on because they could just walk by and not get caught, right? They could, they could do that legally. Um, another thing is I, I just, it's, it's tough, the comparison, right? I, I'm really not a big proponent of, of, of comparing drugs in certain ways um, because they are all different, right? Like alcohol has a very different role, cultural role in our society than marijuana, right? Um, people have been drinking alcohol um, for, centuries in this country and people people come at me saying oh well people have been smoking marijuana for thousands of years people haven't been smoking like 99 percent carts for thousands of years so that's what they've been smoking people have been drinking hard liquor for a long time right like high potency alcohol you could even say right like more than a more than a beer people have been drinking for a really long time in our country it has it has a distinct role in our in our culture and whether that's good or bad like that's 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 not even as much in my expertise right but in, but in terms of marijuana right this is we don't need to treat it the same right it's you know people it's so so i don't i, I just don't love the comparison of saying you can go out to a liquor store and buy out the store like why why shouldn't you be why shouldn't the same rules apply okay well we don't have a legal market and the and we're going to have dealers on the street who are able to carry a lot large amounts and field underground markets. So I just don't view having no sky's the limit as really a good policy option. I see what you like. I, I get what you're saying with like, you don't want to compare the two because they're different, but I, I just don't still see why, like, what about the difference? It, it, it seems like you're, you're what you're keying in on is this concern about somebody having too much or being able to have too much and and going and selling it which look we're seeing that in call uh, california oregon all of these illegal grows that you know like we're we're seeing that like to your point um but i just think that like 
if we, if we, first of all, I, I want to get this on the table. One of the things I agree with you on is that the commercialization of cannabis is not, uh, it's not good. And I want to get into that. Um, but, but that's, um, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I know that I'm listing the example of going to the store mm -hmm. and buying it out. But really what I'm just trying to say is it just seems weird to me that like in my own home, there's an idea that something in my home, there can only be so much of it. Yeah, no, I, you know I, what I mean? I, I, like, I get what you're, I, I, I get what you're saying with that. Um, I just, I think if you could, so this might be an interesting way to view it as well. Like, um, and this might be a little shift, but to, to almost a social justice, criminal justice perspective. Um, there are, right, like for, for, for alcohol, um, another reason why I don't think you can really compare is because of all the regulations around alcohol, right? The drug that I think, I think the most people get arrested for in this country is alcohol, right? There are most, like uh, there's over a million, I believe, per year alcohol arrests. People, mm -hmm. people say, oh, you're not going to be able to arrest someone or do this or that, you know, if the drug is, if the drug is legal, right? That's blatantly not true. Um, so I think like there's, so, so like what you're saying, like, yeah, you know, it's, but it's not really that because you, you, you can't just do whatever you want with alcohol. Oh, absolutely. Like, like to your point, like you wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that just because you can possess as much as you want, that you should be able to drive high or to, right. you know, like, yeah, I think that all, like, I know you don't like you're wanting to shy away from like comparing the two and I get it. And I actually agree with it too. Like, I don't think there's, there are different substances. Like you're saying, I, I honestly lost, lost my, uh, my, okay. So yeah, I think, sorry. Um, I think that, you know, I'm not saying that we should compare the two, but at least policy wise, it is, I don't think um, totally unagreeable to treat them the same. So public intoxication, you know, you're just smoking on the fucking street. Yeah. That's a problem. You know what I mean? Uh, just like if you're drinking on the street, like I, I want to be very clear that I'm uh, advocating for what I think is reasonable, but I also want to be very clear in saying that I know a lot of people that may agree with me are not always advocating for what you might think is reasonable policy. A lot of people say that you can drive high and that they're better drivers while they're high. Right. But I, Hey, I said, I said that, I said that for a long time. Like I said yeah. that a long time, which like, it's, 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 it's funny when people say that it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's just, just blatantly not true. So it's, you know, it's like people have these ideas of how good of a driver they are. I don't think people have any like, like how good of a measure do you have even to be able to like analyze that when you're it's that just is so ridiculous to me <laughs> yeah so and one thing um before we get to some other points you had brought up like with regard to like dealers right um it's just interesting to me so first of all i think possession limits and what i hear when i when i hear limits i hear the continued criminalization of cannabis Okay. So, so yeah. Okay. That's, can I, and can I address that actually? Yes. Okay. So I, I, and, and this is something I think would be good for like your audience, especially the, the drug war and the criminalization of drugs is a really touchy subject for many good reasons, right? For a lot of people. Um, and I think that when, when you talk about the new, but when you talk about the nuances and details, like, okay, possession limits under decriminalization a policy, you know, there's kind of this knee-jerk reaction, drug war, drug war, drug war. Like, nope, nope, that's the drug war. That's the drug war, 
right? And and just to be clear, it's not, right? I think there's this, I there's the there are these ideas that what I would be saying or what smart purchase marijuana is advocating for is a continuation of those things. No, the, the drug war was a very pointed effort at, you know, the criminalization of certain substances, right? And that was, and, and, and we are not advocating for the continuance of that. So I think, but, but the big but is drug policy is really complex. I think, it, I think people like to have a simple solution. And I think actually, in my opinion, that's where a lot of the sentiment I've seen that comes for legalization comes from. Um, and that's just my perspective, because I, I, and I think I have some authority because I used to be gung ho for legalization. So, so, so that's, that's a funny thing, right? Before, so I met um, Dr. Kevin Sabet, who's the co-founder, president and CEO of Smart Purchase to Marijuana. He uh, was a senior drug policy advisor um, for the Office of National Drug Control Policy um, to President Obama. Um, and I met him and before I met him, I was totally in for, for legalization. Right. I was like, this is the moral policy. This is the right thing to do. We should lock people up. And he really showed me another perspective of this issue that said, hey, this is actually really complex. Like this isn't black and white. It's not just legalized drugs, legalized weed. It's, it's not that simple. There's a lot of nuances and intricacies to these policies that you have to consider. This is a whole network. This is, this is a global issue, right? So this is, this, this it, it's just not so simple. Um, so I think that Delving into the, my point really is, uh, to be more concise about it, is delving into the details of drug policy and debating nuances is not continuing the drug war, right? And, and, that, and that sounds almost obvious to me, but I think there's this knee-jerk reaction that it is. And what you and I are, yeah, what you and I are arguing is not like, should we continue the drug war? And I think that's what people hear, but it's just not. Yeah. Well, I guess like, yeah, that's a good point to make. I guess what I mean by drug war, policies that resemble the drug okay. war. Yeah. Uh, like, just because, like I say, like we decriminalized cannabis before we legalized it. And mm -hmm. what that meant is that you could have 10 grams and it would just be a, a ticket and you'd be on your merry way. They'd take mm -hmm. it away from you, whatever. And, and it wouldn't cause like a, a big issue for your for your future. But if you got caught with more than that, then it was an issue and it wasn't even it's like you know not it intent to distribute all that stuff didn't even enter the picture it's just that like simply possessing an a certain amount and that results in a criminal and that continues in illinois by the way to this day if you have if oh uh, well i'm not a good example let's say you're a resident of the illinois of illinois jordan yeah. welcome to chillinois it's a great state um you would have a 30 gram possession limit but if you went over that like all of the old um policies that we had in place before we legalized cannabis are still in place so it's like we set up this tightrope where it's like you can you can uh you can use cannabis but you can only get it from our stores and if you have more than what we allow you to if in other words if you slip off that tightrope you go right back to the old policies that we have. You could end up with like certain cases we've seen people just for possession. They didn't even exceed their limit. Illinois has this weird provision in the law that if you don't have it in an odor-proof container in your vehicle, which by the way, Jordan, there's no such thing as an odor-proof container. If there, you can Google it, and sure, you're going to get some results. But if there was a, if there was an odor-proof container, the cartel would be pioneering that product, and canines would be useless, right? Canines yeah. continue to serve a purpose in this day, and it's because 
odor proofing something is, is just simply impossible. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that Illinois has this weird law. Once we legalize it, it's this vehicle transportation law that if, if the dog triggers on it, even if you bought it from a dispensary, it's the weirdest thing. Um, they can give you uh, a citation for, for transporting cannabis incorrect, incorrectly, which like I said, people have gotten a class A misdemeanor for, which is like equivalent to in Illinois to domestic battery. And these people were just transporting cannabis, allegedly. I'm not saying I know that, you know, I'm, we've talked yeah, no, to I get, attorneys I and everything else. So but, it's like, it's, and I think that's an interesting point. Um, I, I just, I guess the, the thing that I'd, I'd kind of counter the idea of like, I think that there's this, I think there's a tendency to say policies like that are geared towards criminalizing marijuana users, right? Like we, they, they're, they want to take away our liberties. They, they want to make it as hard as possible for us to do what we want to do. Um, and in my view, um, there are actual practical reasons. I'm not, I, I'm really not saying like every state or, you know, this law, this law, I'm not, I'm, I can't like just cherry pick them like that. But I think there are practical reasons, like I discussed before, for these limits, right? So you, so, so it's a balancing act. So, so you say, okay, so you might get as a marijuana user, some, some benefits, right? If you, from, by eliminating that, but guess who also gets benefits, right? Like the cartels. Think about home grow in, in Colorado, right? You saw Cuban, and Chinese and Mexican, right, like drug cartels and organizations flooding Colorado, buying residential homes in the suburbs and literally just growing illegal marijuana like in their in those homes. Um, and the reason is that they had home grow laws, right? And and uh, so so that's like an example of okay, well, you might say this is a liberty issue, but well, are you gonna attract Drug, foreign drug cartels to your state who are going to illegally distribute it and fuel the black market? Probably. So in my view, I, I don't think that that's targeted necessarily at just taking the rights away of marijuana users. And I'll say, and I can speak on behalf of my organization and say, like, that isn't what we want to do, right? People paint us as this group that wants to just completely strip the rights away of all of these marijuana users and staunch prohibitionists, this, that, and the other thing. And that's not me. That's not anyone in our organization. And we just want practical drug policy solutions. It just seems like those, and then I want to back up to you because you do a good job, I think, of uh, breaking down the decriminal, uh, the difference between decriminalization and legalization. That's how I actually first came across you. Um, I want to get into that. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that because you do a great job. Um, but I just, I want to say that these things you point out seem to like homegrown Colorado. I'm, yeah, that was an issue, you know, and, but my, my, my wonder with that, cause you guys, uh, Sam has pointed out other states that have a, an, an issue with like illegal grows and abundance of illegal yeah. grows, exporting product and everything else. And I have to wonder if that problem, you just have to wonder if that problem is caused by the fact that it is a legal state surrounded by a country of what used to be majority illegal. I'm giving it, you know, we're, we're coming around, I guess, with cannabis policy, it's becoming decriminalized or legalized in um, multiple states. But like, you know, for example, they say that like 75%, 80% of weed that goes out to America is from California. And it's like, well, maybe if people had the means to either cultivate it at home or whatever else, there wouldn't be this pent up demand that 
is able to kind of hide under the shadow of legalization. Cause that's the thing, like a grow, you can't hide a grow in Iowa, right? <laughs> like you can, I'm sure there are some, but you can hide a grow in California because there's so many fucking grows. It's like, you know, you're flying over, like, are you really going to stop at every grow and make sure they're licensed? You yeah. know what I mean? And, and, but what you guys have pointed out is that some of these States actually have created, um, agencies that will are starting to do that they're starting to go yeah, around starting and, to and like even 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 other agencies that aren't necessarily designed for that i think it was oh my god i'm gonna butcher the name but it was like the california it's the agency in california that basically mm -hmm. wildlife in southern sacramento county there was an illegal marijuana grow that basically was really disrupting actually putting um they said potentially putting toxic chemicals in the water and endangering the lives of animals and local wildlife and you hear about that a lot honestly yeah, and 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 then they were able to shut it down. Um, so I, you, you bring up the interesting point, right? Uh, you hear a lot from the kind of more legalization crew that, okay, sorry about the sirens in the background, by the I way. I was going to say, they should be coming for me, not you. I'm the <laughs> one that's got weed. Yeah, I mean, I can't, yeah. There's I'm fucking with you. Going on here. Um, so, so uh, you know, so, right. So the standard response to what I said is, well, if we federally legalize it, then we wouldn't have any of these issues because you wouldn't have interstate, you know, commerce problems and you wouldn't have, and you need to transport it to the, here and there and, and you wouldn't have, you would have more uniform regulation. Well, there are still several problems that get in the way, I believe, of that argument. Um, two that I can think of off the top of my head. One, how many marijuana users are going to spend the time to consistently throughout their time smoking marijuana really establish really good home grow? And number one, if they do that, are they going to be doing that safely? So, 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 right. It's like, like people have passions for like home brewing beer, right? People might have passions for growing marijuana, but I just, I'm just, I'm just really actually posing the question, like how practical is it to say, well, like everyone's just going to spend all the time and money and like, like do it thoroughly so that's safe to grow marijuana and enough for them to consume, right? Like I've, I've talked to friends in college who actually want to do it um, and just hearing their, their ideas about it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's a ton of work. And it is a lot of work. So how many people are a going to do that even if they, even if they say they're willing? Um, and the second, which I think is something that we do see that is measurable is, is price problems. So what I don't think would go away is the fact that you still have taxes and that you still have um, up to cost because there's just you know higher value of labor right in dispensaries and and it's no one I don't think anyone on this pod listening to this podcast would disagree that if you're going to go to a dispensary in California that's going to be way more expensive than going to the black market for marijuana right that's one major reason and you see you know San Francisco what they just did recently I don't know if you heard about this but they uh, they decided to for all of 2020 suspend the cannabis business tax in, in San Francisco. And it's like one of the reason that they got, one of the reasons they got a lot of people on board with legalizing marijuana pretty much everywhere is this tax revenue idea, right? That would get all this tax revenue, which, which has really been overshot, right? There's only been a handful, maybe one or two instances where actually the marijuana taxation has exceeded 1% of the budget. I know one instance was in Washington state a few years ago, and that was when they had a 37% or something excise tax. Right, so so uh, you you it's it's not getting in that much money, and even where it does, it's it's making it so that it's it's way more expensive. And so you have this option of okay, do we want to lower support for legalization by not having taxes because that was promised to people, and they're taking that promise away and they're taking that back, or 
we can just have you know rampant illegal growth. I don't think that would go away because it's more expensive. Well, um, I need to use the restroom, but when we come back, I think it would be good to talk. If you'd be, uh, I'll give you a sec to prepare. Let's talk about because we keep talking about decriminalization and legalization, yeah. and there is a difference. And so, um, let's return to that when we uh, when we get back. Yep, sounds great. Okay, we're back. Um, so, I think, like I said, it would be uh, good to break down the difference between decriminalization and legalization. Like you said, like you've said. A lot of people say it kind of in the same breath, and there is a big difference. Yeah, no, this is, and this is probably one of the topics I like to talk about the most, actually. I think it's one of the most important, especially for people who are kind of more novices, I guess, in, in, in marijuana policy, just getting into it. So you said it how I like to say it, Cole, that we hear people talking about marijuana decriminalization and legalization in the same breath. Um, a little exercise, if you, if you will, to see this is just look up the MORE Act. The MORE Act um, was a bill that has been introduced in Congress and uh, it, I think multiple times, and it is a bill that basically federally would legalize marijuana. If you look up MORE and decriminalize and then MORE and legalize, you'll see half the article says new, new legislation legalizes marijuana, and the other half will say new legislation decriminalizes marijuana, and you'll, and, and, and that just makes people believe, oh, well, they're probably around the same thing. Well, not, no, they're, they're really, really different, and it's important that we get this right. So decriminalization is uh, ideas, and it's, and it's funny because it's really an umbrella policy, right? Decriminalization is an umbrella policy that has a lot of different kind of ideas and subsets under it. And you can kind of tailor it to your own state, locality, whatever you, whatever your you know, jurisdiction you want, your community. And so it includes things like giving civil uh, violations, like a traffic ticket. Um, it can include um, sending people to uh, treatment. Um, it can include having people call, I believe, like where they decriminalized drugs in Oregon, right? They, they, even though they're not really actually giving many violations and they're not following through on a lot of what they said, um, you technically have to um, call a line, a hotline or something, or you're offered that, you know, there's a lot of different kind of opportunities under decriminalization. Um, but the key difference is that you don't have a commercial industry. You do not have pot shops, you do not have um, corporations that are marketing marijuana, you don't have any of that. So you kind of get all the good stuff, all the civil liberty stuff, all the keeping people out of jail and the drug war stuff without any of the bad addiction for profit industry modeled off of big tobacco. Um, and that is what legalization really is. So under legalization, uh, you would have um, commercial sales um, and and that has the opportunity right in to, to, to really just get out of control. You see in Denver, there are more pot shops by a factor of um, one, one, one of them is two and one of them is by a factor of 10. I forget which is which, but more pot shops than Starbucks and McDonald's in Denver and I believe in Seattle. Right. So you have all these stores and, and, and they can market and they can get around things and, 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 you know, the industry will try and put billboards. They, they, they try and reduce the, uh, uh, you know, amount of space between pot shops and schools and churches and all these other institutions. And it's, it's, it just can get really out of control really quickly. So that's the biggest difference. And at Smart Approaches to Marijuana, we oppose the legalization. 
Gotcha. And 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 I think the key thing with legalization, I hear commercializ- commercialization, which yep. this is one of the things I looked forward to talking to you about when I came into the show. It's one of the things I really uh, agree with you on. I think the commercialization of cannabis has been uh, problematic from a public safety standpoint. Um, we just recently... I was mentioned in a Chicago Sun-Times article that was talking about uh, legal cannabis in Illinois failing tests. This was oh, a product that yeah, our- I read that article. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Really yeah, yeah, our friend uh, Tom Shuba and uh, Stephanie Zimmerman from the Chicago Sun-Times purchased legal cannabis products, took it to a lab, did the the, the tests that it already should have gone through, and they got a different result than what was on the testing label which is troubling because the pitch of cannabis legalization is that you know what you're getting. You know that it's safe. It's regulated. Um, and those are the types of, of pitches that have been made in the past that those pitches are made to say that this is going to help public safety, right? Well, yeah, so you, exactly. yeah, but it's, it's not... It, did you hear about also, you know, Connecticut and California have had a lot of connect. So Connecticut, um, a, a uh, reporter, Jenny Monk, um, who I've had some correspondence with, um, who was great, reported in Connecticut that their, one of their labs actually just increased the amount of molds that they're allowing on marijuana, which is a little bit um, problematic. And in California, there was, I, I forget what year it was done, but there was a group of researchers that took from like a bunch, like many, many dispensaries and uh, did kind of the tests that Tom Shuba, I, I believe, like did um, and found really astounding results that it, a lot of them had failed um, the, the test that they should have uh, been able to measure up to. Um, so this is, this is and, and even like in, in bar, like for edibles, right? You talk about like, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with, right? They have like um, candy bars that have maybe 10 different bits or they have like Sour Patch Gummy styles um, like bits, right? There's actually not a lot, like you say that you're getting, you know, what you want in the dosage, but there's actually not a lot of quality control out there about, okay, is one bar actually 10 milligrams? Like the whole bar might have hundred milligrams, but if there's 10 pieces is one twenty and one five, um, they actually have a lot of quality control. So people can get actually more intoxicated than they would have liked to. And that can be dangerous. And those are the, that's one of the main reasons I think that medical researchers don't support the commercialization of cannabis because if you think about and you have to like i bring up this topic and there's a weird sector of the cannabis community that's like anti-big pharma but then on the same hand i look i'm just going to be honest it seems like a lot of people and it's changing it is changing and you know this because you see the, the the parties coming around and everything else but generally speaking i would say that cannabis is associated with a left-leaning thing like, yeah. and so like left leaning, like you generally hear nowadays, especially like take the vaccine, take the vaccine. So it's like, do we hate big pharma or do we like big pharma? It's no, I, so I, I'm so glad you brought that up. And it's funny. So Pfizer, right. Who like, um, and, and I, for the record, I'm very, I'm pro vaccine. I've gotten all three of mine and, um, it, but, but Pfizer. You've gotten three of them. Or are you saying oh, the two and then sorry, the booster? Yeah, the two and then the booster. Yeah, no, no. Okay. I was like, damn, dude, you're, you're fucking ahead of the crowd. Yeah. No, the two and the booster. Uh, yeah. Uh, like Tiva, a pharmaceutical company, Pfizer, they actually just like 
Pfizer just got, I think they acquired over $6 billion, right? They spent on acquiring a medical marijuana company. I mean, um, it's, or products, I, I, it's, you know, it's the big farm is in on this. And it's funny, it's really not uh, left-leaning even like in the space, like mm-hmm. uh, they, all, all I would do is what I tell, the fun thing that I like to do is I tell people Google Acreage Holdings, right? Uh, they're like the second or third biggest uh, marijuana firm. They own a lot. Yeah, that's uh, that's the one John Boehner's on. John yeah. Boehner, right? There's John Boehner, right? Bill Weld, who is now an independent, but I believe he was maybe a Republican at the time, governor of Massachusetts. You have the former conservative Canadian prime minister, um, like a lot of like right right wing politicians. So it's it's really not because because what they see is they see the uh, a lot of the libertarian kind of economic opportunity. Um, aspect of this, and uh, they want to cash in on addiction for profit, right? They they don't care about public health, right? A lot of people, and and no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, whether you're right or you're left, the people at the top of this industry, they're not in this for public health. They're in this for the cash for themselves. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to say, like with, I wanted to point out with like medical researchers and the commercialization of cannabis, is that the ideas are almost antithetical. Um, right? You know, like with medicine. You want to have peer-reviewed clinical trials, and frankly, that's not been happening with cannabis. Now, we both know why because of the scheduling, and I've seen some of your proposals like maybe making a new schedule like Schedule 1A so that mm-hmm. it's still – I'm quoting you uh, – so that it's still um, kind of like accentuates the dangers of, of cannabis but allows medical research to continue. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, folks, I'm quoting, uh, I'm quoting him. Uh, I see, here's, here's the thing. I don't think cannabis or any drugs are safe. So like when we talk about dangers, I think this is a good segue into, um, a point you brought up earlier is like high potency weed. And that you said yeah. earlier that like the weed we're smoking today is not the weed that our parents were smoking at Woodstock. I feel like you, it's almost because of some of the statements I've read and and I'll link like this, this article in the podcast description for folks that want to read it. They mimic a lot of statements that have been said in the past, but let's just start in like 2019. Are you saying, are you saying our articles like stamped articles or no, the idea that I've seen you, you, you just said it and I've seen. Sam say multiple times that like weed is just so much more potent today. Yeah. 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 Right. And uh, one of the quotes you guys use, uh, it's from 2019 us surgeon general, uh, Dr. Jerome Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, he did this like press conference. I actually watched it live cause it was, uh, I was intrigued. It was about, it was during like the vape craze. You remember that? And so, yeah. Um, that's a little bit what of it what it was about, but it all they also talked about like cannabis and motherhood, and they actually made some interesting points about it. But he said, um, it's almost like mimicking what you just said. This ain't your mother's marijuana. Not enough people know that today's marijuana is far more potent than in days past. Um, and then later he said that cannabis is three times stronger now than it was in the 90s. And so you know, just looking back, like in 1995, for example, United States drug czar Lee Brown told the media 
that marijuana is 40 times more potent today than 10, 15, 20 years ago. And here's an interesting one. Uh, 1996, sorry to go back, uh, back a year because I was just no, talking about 1995, but Joe Biden, <laughs> uh, then Senate Judiciary Committee chair, said that, uh, you know, comparing marijuana to like to today's marijuana, which was in 1996, to what it was a few years ago, is like, quote, comparing a buckshot and a shotgun shell to a laser guided missile. You go back to 1986, the National Institute of Drug Abuse said the potency of marijuana has increased sevenfold in the past 11 years. Smoking one marijuana cigarette is now equivalent to smoking seven cigarettes nine or 10 years ago. So like from that, you assume, so hold on, let me back up because Jerome said three times, Lee Brown said 10, 15, 20, let's just choose 15. Joe Biden didn't really say a number, but the National Institute of Drug Abuse did. They said it's increased sevenfold. So three times stronger than the stuff in the 90s, 40 times stronger than the stuff in the 80s, and seven times stronger than the stuff in 1975. So we would assume that like the weed in the 70s was like really weak, right? But Paul Harvey, a columnist, and we can, like I say, I'll have an article that links to some of these columns and everything else. Uh, they're like old newspaper clippings and stuff. Uh, he said the grass kids are buying in the schoolyard parking lot for $10 a lid, which was apparently a term back then, um, is not what it used to be. The potency of the Jamaican Colombian variety is 15 to 20 times stronger than our 1960s variety. So if we take that all at face value, <laughs> right, three times 40 times seven times 15 makes one modern joint equivalent to 12,600 joints of the 1960s well, okay. variety. So are you saying like, oh, are, are you saying how do you reconcile the differences or just? I'm saying I feel like you guys shoot yourself in, a foot, in the foot by saying, by saying that because I get what you mean, but you're saying things that are straight out of like when people weren't like really um, applying a lot of logic. And there's also like, when you look at those numbers, when you go back through history, there's a lot of um, like determining a pattern can be deceiving because some plants may have been cut down before harvest. Some early cannabis samples may have been degrading in police storage lockers for years. Some years, a big seizure of particularly high or low potency cannabis could skew the average and when you take these factors into consideration, some researches, some researchers are sorry, some researchers even argue uh, that there was a decline in potency during the years that others claim potency was rising. Now, like a report, and we'll actually publish this report. It's from nlm.nih.gov. Mm -hmm. They um, scientists analyzed cannabis confiscated by the cops. Uh, confirmed that the only reason they found an increase in average pot potency from 1995 to 2014 was because the DEA had been seizing fewer male plant, uh, been seizing fewer male plants, plants and fewer seeded buds. The, in other words, the increase in proportionate number of Sensimilia samples, which I don't, are you familiar with Sensimilia? Like what that is? It's seedless cannabis. It's when, it's when they figured out how to arguably. Uh, engineer more potent yeah. cannabis by separating yeah. the males. One, one last real quick point, because 
this is this is the most important, I think. Yeah. Um, different methods of analysis can also produce different results. So in back in the day, they used uh, gas chromatography to analyze cannabinoid levels, and the heat required to perform those tests can actually destroy THC, providing an inaccurately low result. Many labs now use liquid chromatography, and this makes it hard to meaningfully compare results from different eras when they've been using different methods and technologies. And I said one last point, but this is actually my last point. THC does not actually equate to potency, which is like one thing you've been saying. And, and like, generally speaking, people will say that. I'm not saying that like people would disagree with you when you said that. It's not like just because you said that people in the cannabis industry would be like, no, I don't disagree. Most people typically like buy their cannabis based off of THC percentage. But what we're hearing now is, and, and I think you guys have even made this point, it's just one of hundreds of cannabinoids. And we're not even studying those other cannabinoids. We're like studying like five. Like if you look at a, and I say studying, we're not really doing that. We're looking at five. So if you look at like your average dispensary label, it says THC, CBD, maybe a few other cannabinoids. But we've come to find out in the modern era of science that there's like over a hundred cannabinoids and that they could play very significant different roles in how the product feels and, and, and such. And so I don't know. I just like, I get what you're, I feel like I get what you guys are trying to say, but because all of those statements have been made so many other times. And when people look through those things, it, it becomes like hard to. And I, I think I can address that. Um, so uh, number one, uh, just to address your last point, like, yes, there are a lot of other components of, of marijuana, right? Other than THC, but THC is recognized as like the site, the, the, the number one widely psychoactive, right? Component of it. Um, and, and there's Delta nine and Delta eight now like circulating, right? And THCO, a lot of different things that are, are going around, but, um, THC is recognized. So I think that's why it's equivalent to potency in terms of, um, psychoactive potency. Um, then to address the other comments, so, um, you know, I know I said a lot, by the way, so I'm sorry. You know what? <laughs> I know I said a lot, by the way, so like. Oh, no, 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 you're totally, you're totally, totally good. No, I, I, I liked all of it. Um, it, it, was, it made good points, but uh, I, I think where, so to address the, uh, I guess, kind of two different parts of also what you said, uh, one about, you know, the measurements, um, that was really interesting, the chromatography, I think was that what you said yeah 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 um, i so i i'm not i'm not really an expert in that honestly but i think that kind of highlights an issue that we at sam uh really push for which again is is, is expansion research like we want um regardless of like result we want the most accurate research done as possible the most accurate results of the test the most comprehensive analysis of whether it's THC potency or whether it's identifying mold and, and or pesticides, right? So, so we 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 wholeheartedly push for that um, and to improve that technology. And it's unfortunate that there have been technology issues in the past, like you highlighted. Um, but so with the with the THC kind of differences, you know, you said fifteen percent, seven percent, nineties and eighties and seventies, and what we're saying. Um, a few notes on that. So uh, I don't I don't know all in my head like if every one of those numbers was correct for whatever date they said, but I think that there is a tendency to um, like 
we say, for example, we say an average of like two to five percent THC, right? In the seventies, a lot of like at smart versus marijuana, like we say that a lot, right? So, so if you, if you're, if you're, if you're a politician and you want to make a quick statement on marijuana, are you going to pick two or are you going to pick five, right? As the level that the average marijuana is, or are you going to average them all out? Are you going to pick the middle number? Right? Are you going to pick the lower high, high estimate? Uh, what kind of products are you talking? So when, I don't I don't know actually the context of the exact statement, but when you want to say three times increase of potency, well, is that talking about bud that might be twenty percent potent now, or are you talking about the vapes in particular, which are like not which can be up to ninety nine percent potency? Are you talking about the extracts, or are you talking about edibles, right? So I think when we say okay, the potency has increased, what I can tell you is there's undeniable evidence that potency has increased over the over, over the years and uh, at an incredibly fast rate since legalization. Kind of the goal. What? Right? It's kind of the goal. I mean, it is our, it is our goal. Um, you know, there's so the the uh, the you know, and the this gets into I think the spirit of your point. I interpreted kind of the spirit of of the points you were making as well. How like how are we gonna 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 reconcile these these increases in 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 marijuana? What do they really mean? Um, and I think. Uh, to answer that, I, I'd like to talk about a point that a lot of people on the legalization side bring up. So there's this thing called right, the iron law of prohibition, and that is one of the most commonly used arguments promoting the legalization of drugs like marijuana. And that says that when, during, when you have prohibition, when the substance is illegal, it, it takes, um, it's, it, it's a lot more risk to, to kind of transport and distribute um, a lot of uh, a greater mass of that substance, right? So someone in prohibition of alcohol, right? They would rather transport moonshine than beer, right? That's the argument. And so they say that prohibition actually drives up uh, potency. And it's interesting with marijuana. We've actually seen the opposite, right? Even though potency might've steadily rose, it's skyrocketed when legalization hit, whether it's medical or recreational, right? It really started to go up. And the reason is because nothing innovates like the free market, right? So if you want to say, I'm focusing this, right? Well, guess guess what? Guess guess what? The iron law of the free market is is innovation, right? Yeah. There's like there's we're gonna give you the fucking best. We're gonna blow so, your so, mind. So, so and, and 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 it's not it's, it's not only about giving people the best. It's like we're gonna we want repeat customers, right? The eighty twenty rule. 80% of the profit made is made by 20% of the customers because it's like, you know, the, the alcoholics are the ones who are making liquor stores profit, right? It's not the people who just go in every, you know, once every couple of weeks and buy a bottle of wine. So, so, so it's the same thing. The innovation of the market has skyrocketed this potency. So I think when this becomes, this become the skyrocketing in potency becomes more relevant now today than it even was in the eighties and nineties and two thousands because um, of the products that are being made, right? So you have the liquids now, vapes, you have um, higher potency bud, you have different kinds of edibles, you even have drinks now, right? Like elixirs, I think oftentimes they're called. Um, all sorts of different kinds of can candies and gummies and all sorts of different, also paraphernalia, right? You have dabs, you have wax, you have shatter, you have, you have different kinds of rigs, you have all these methods of smoking. And that is a product of the free market. That's not a product of the innovation of drug cartels. Um, and that uh, has, has led to a drastic increase in potency. And we're seeing the results. You know, people, it's, it's, it's so funny that people have always said, oh, you know, marijuana is 
so harmless back in, you know, and oftentimes they, they, they reference, oh, you know, whatever happened to a hippie in the 1970s smoking marijuana, probably not that much. Like, well, what's happening to the people today who are regularly smoking high potency marijuana? Um, they're having really bad mental health issues. Uh, they're landing in the hospital from things like CHS. They're having psychotic breaks. Uh, this isn't everyone, right? I want to say that this is not some reefer madness. So every single person out there smoking high potency marijuana is experiencing that. No, not at all what I'm saying. So don't, don't, don't get it twisted, right? <laughs> I don't want anyone to twist my words. It's just there are higher prevalencies of these things because of the market innovation that has become high potency marijuana. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm getting caught up with, and maybe it's a vernacular, but again, I just want to bring up the point that the, the understanding of potency is starting to shift and that THC doesn't equate to potency. So I think like maybe I'm just getting caught up in your vernacular. You're yeah. saying potency. I know by that you mean THC, but I guess what I'm saying is like, um, well, I'd, I'd ask how that is because like, so my, so, so like, right. When you say something like when you have an, an extract of marijuana and 99% is like, is, it's 99% THC. That's saying that each inhale of that you are getting more per inhale of THC than you would smoke 5%. So, so it's like the difference between like a beer and vodka, right? When or, you, or Everclear. But what, Everclear. I'm, what I'm saying though is that in, ever, in, in beer and vodka, there is the ethanol that makes you feel that way, the alcohol. Right. But I mean, with, with cannabis, it's been generally thought it's the THC. But what I'm trying to say is that um, blind judging in scientific studies. And I can, let me make sure I've got links for this. Cause I, mm, it'll be in the article that I link, but I don't like the link that they provided. I'm still going to read what I was about to say. Cause I believe it. I believe it to be true. People are saying that the highest level of THC is not always considered the strongest or most desirable by users. That's slowly starting to change. So like you have a point, you're right that historically people have been fixated on THC. The point I'm and, and ever clear the most is ever clear like the most desirable by alcohol users. Like no, right? No, like more no, people it's not ever clear, right? So but but more people might drink beer than ever clear. But I think the yeah. point is that you're getting like we recognize whether it's one of many. It might be one of many, but that THC is a psychoactive component, and I think the most widely used psychoactive component. So especially when you when you kind of extract that. When you when when you're not just smoking the whole like bud, right? When you're extracting that and putting putting that extract, and making it something like shatter or putting it in da in, in like dad pen, um, then it becomes like higher potency. You might only need to take one puff to get the same feeling as you would from a whole joint. So that's what that's so just just to be clear, when I say potency, that that's really that's really what I mean, right? It, it's it's X amount of of joints that it takes um, to make up X amount of like puffs from a dad pen right and that's gonna they're gonna be different numbers to get like different levels of intoxication I, that's probably a jumble of words but you know what i'm saying that makes sense i, I do know what you're trying to say I, what, I'm, what i'm trying to communicate is that some people will buy a high thc product yeah because it's high thc yeah and they won't get the feeling that they're looking at it for it and then they'll buy one with like 18 percent thc and, and mind you, again, we're only talking about like maybe we know we know the level of THC, but we don't know the level of the other cannabinoids. And they'll say though that that lower potency product gave them the feeling they were looking for. So it's like okay, maybe the THC isn't 
what is maybe that's not the whole picture right no, yeah, so i agree and that might not be the whole picture um i'd say that in if you're going to talk about the the wide like just general the majority of users you might be able to make an argument we could be having a conversation about that like okay like, you know there are people who don't want to like most people don't want to get super super drunk right when they drink like that's a wine at dinner they might not want that um just like maybe i, I mean i don't know i'm just postulating here right majority of canvas users or a large a, a number of them they might not want to get super high but I think what's important to the discussion, and I think I frame this through the lens of addiction, right? Because that's like where I come from, my background. I think where potency especially matters is in regard to that 80-20 rule. So, so if if the market is being you know, held up basically by 20% of users who have a problem or use the substance too much in a problematic way, um, they're dependent on it. Um, then I think those people tend to look for the, for potency, just like just like with any with any other you know substance. A lot of people like to to use more of it, right? When people kind of you grad, like they say graduate to to kind of different substances that are more potent. Um, so, so I think in terms of addiction and the market, the market even if they might want to market low 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 THC products to to a, to some kind of specific subset of users, those high potency products. Are what is driving, I think, a lot of the dependence. Um, and I, I, I'm saying that also from my personal experience. Yeah. Um, one, I'm going to try one more time at this because I, I, again, I. And you know what you're saying. I know. So I want to say, like, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I, I get what you're like, saying. Like, I want to try one more time though, because like a like a 35% bud, you like people would go for that because like that's the highest testing bud you're ever going to find, and they're like, I'm going to get fucked up from this, right? Just saying, that's usually what people, they're like, this is going to get me super high. The paradigm seems to be shifting to where they're like, have you heard of the entourage effect? It's the idea that all of these cannabinoids, not only THC, play yeah, a very right. important role. Yeah. That, that's all I'm saying. Okay, so yeah. I get, yeah, I get, I get, I've, I've heard that before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To your point, though, um, this is a, a good shift, Like, and it's another problem with the commercialization of cannabis. They do market high THC percentage, uh, yeah. like as being better. The other thing they do is that they sell it in a manner that's inconsistent with science, hybrid, sativa, indica, even yeah. normal, nor, uh, national organization of marijuana reform. I can't think of the, um, the national organization of the reform of marijuana laws. I think that's it. There you go. I missed the R. Um, <laughs> sometimes too. Yeah. Yeah, so they they even agree that that like like commercial wise, the way that they're trying to subsect this into like three neat and tidy like products, like here's your upper, here's your this is gonna get you through everything, and this is gonna put you to sleep. Like that's not true, and it and it's it's a problem for me because it shows you that they're just trying to sell a product, right? These are businessmen. Like these are these are people in business who want to make money, and they don't care how they do it. Like yeah, there, there's not like a like a morality of like like oh, we really want to you know relay all the information possible in the most accurate way um, to 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 users. Like that's not what, and that's and I think that's like right. Also, one of the many reasons like we we're we're opposed right to, to advertising. Um, uh, of, of products, especially in places that uh, like like billboards, right, where where young kids can drive in their cars and see them uh, with their parents. Um, yeah. 
it's it's it, 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 it's just a problem. It's a totally it's like you know we it's like we've seen this before. We've seen this with tobacco. I was gonna I was about to say you also oppose for people that are like, well, don't you have a problem with that with alcohol and tobacco? Yes, you do, right? Yeah, like a billboards and advertisements. Exactly. And- so it's like you have we like we had a we had a huge problem with like television ads for for tobacco, right? Like we like we went through that as a country in the seventies. Um, we're 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 just repeating the same mistakes and. And what I'll say is the reason that they're getting away with it is because they are building a rhetoric based on real falsehoods, like that marijuana isn't addictive, right? Like that, that, that's, that's one of the big ones. And, and I, I, I'll share with you this, this, this is related, but it's a little sidetracked about my personal story with that. My history um, is that, you know, that's been actually the biggest obstacle. You, I should have brought this up before. You said, do you still struggle in the beginning of the podcast? Um, and, uh, the biggest way that i still struggle to this day, it still gets to me is I went through an incredibly traumatic and painful experience. And I still have people tell me sometimes on a daily basis on social media that what you went through wasn't true, didn't happen. Like it's an, it can't be true. It's impossible. You can't get addicted to this substance. Um, and, and because of that, your whole experience is invalidated. I yeah. Mean, somebody that, commented on one of our posts. They said, uh, let me just see. I just, just for humor, for laughs, yeah. they said, uh, George, Jordan is a very young prohibition and often cites his, let's look, look how they were. were I this, didn't see it. I didn't see this. Jordan oh, is wow. a very young pro- prohibitionist who often cites his problem. He had, he, they put it in <laughs> the quotes. Yeah, no, he it's had, like, I've been accused of being a paid actor before. <laughs> yeah. Like a paid actor for like it's crazy uh, so so it's like so it's like imagine if we you know we've we've also been through this we've been through this with other mental health issues right like we we as a country we are i'm thankful that we are progressing on mental health issues and addiction in terms of eliminating stigma surrounding them um we we, we i think in some cases we we still struggle but we struggle less so um, because of the progress that's been made about discriminating against in whether it's in a workplace or in, in a social environment or in a family, um, people who do struggle, whether it's with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or addiction, because um, people still hide those things, but I think used to hide them even a lot more. Um, and for me, it's, it's, it's hard because people still tell me on like regularly that like what you went through wasn't real, just like people used to tell people who had certain mental illnesses, like, you're just crazy, right? You're just crazy, right? That, that's a real hurdle in my recovery that I have to consistently jump over because I sometimes tell myself, well, like, am I, am I, just, am I just making this, am I just blowing this out of proportion? Like, am I, am I really just, am I exaggerating? Am I really, because it, it, it makes you doubt yourself. I'm like, no, like I had a really bad experience. Um, so, I'll say, and the industry, guess what? The industry, I will say, and, and lawmakers, some lawmakers who support legalization, not all, but some, relies on that, that kind of rhetoric heavily to make people think, oh, well, this is different than tobacco. This is just different. Adver- it's different. It's not the same, right? And they use the same playbook because of it. So that's a kind of, to circle back to the point about advertising, that's one of the kind of pieces of rhetoric they, I think, use. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, like I said, cannabis use disorder is something we've discussed on the show. And I'm of the firm belief you can get addicted to anything. I'm, a, I'm addicted to pizza. <laughs> I'm not even joking, dude. Like it, it's gotten better. But like there was a time in my life, Jordan, where I was like, why can't you have pizza for breakfast? 
Yeah. I mean, why? Why do you have to make eggs and bacon? Now, I probably was super high that morning. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, because you start to think of like crazy things like that. Yeah, why, do, yeah. why do we uh, count time and years? You know, all those yeah, <laughs> thoughts yeah, start yeah. to come up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm, still, I'm sober and I still think of that. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. My whole thing is like, okay, would you say like people like to say, oh, it's not physically addictive or it's not like psychologically. Okay. You know, because it's not like it, it doesn't have like an addictive sub, even though THC is addictive. Um, like, like alcohol is addictive. It's like, well, would you say that gam- that gambling can't be addictive? Right. What is it? What's inherently addictive? Like our poker chips, do they have a substance in them that makes you addicted to them? No, but gambling yeah. is addictive, right? It's an I addictive mean, behavior. You can get addicted to this thing. Uh, oh my God. I mean, when, me I, when I lose phone. my phone, I mean, when you lose your phone in the couch and you can't find it for 20 minutes, I mean, you bug out. I, I swear, like it's 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 crazy. It's crazy the similarity, even when it's on a smaller. Losing got, my phone. I'm not a parent, but uh, I listened to a comedian who is a parent, and he just has a great way of uh, putting things. It's Bill Burr. I don't know if you. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Bill Burr. He's from. Oh, like, Bill Burr. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know Bill Burr. Yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. Um, he talked about like you know try to take a tablet away from a kid and, and immediately they become a crackhead. They start like negotiating with you. They're like, okay, I'll be good. You just, you, you know, g- give me one more hit. And I like it. Like, <laughs> Ooh, it's totally, it is totally true because, and, and in, in addiction too, right. It's this, um, there's this, like, I, I've experienced this myself. Uh, uh, there's a, there's a breaking point. So there's a point in which if you don't have the substance you're addicted to, you, you become overly nice, right? You say, oh, like, oh my God, please, come on. It's not that big of a deal. You, you really try. And, and then when you when you realize that you're not going to get what you want, full-fledged anger, right? So oh, yeah, tantrum. To full-fledged tantrum because then you realize only brute force and fear will get you what you want. It's crazy. It's the same thing with phones. <laughs> so in tablets, like you said, with little kids. So that's a great analogy. Yeah. Well, um, if you could, uh, I mean, I've got, uh, some stuff pulled up off of your Wikipedia, but run us through, um, if you're able to, if not, I can just read this off of here, run us through, like, especially in 2020 and, and behind, can you tell us some of uh, your successful efforts, you know, maybe even things you guys are proud of what you've done? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so we've been, we, we've been proud to, um, so, so one thing we're proud of is, is in the decriminalization effort is, is in New Jersey bill that we helped write. Um, we've been proud to to stop legalization at several points um, in, in in many different states. Uh, one thing we're especially proud of happened uh, this past year in 2021. Um, HB 1317. It's actually been talked about a lot recently again. In Colorado. Yeah, in Colorado. Yeah. yeah. In some. So it's actually yeah, it's being brought up in the media a little bit more now because you know some people have been doing kind of 2020 mar- marijuana or cannabis in review. Um, and saying, yeah, I like, saw it in a uh, high times. Yeah, it was actually yeah. the number one thing. Yeah. I think on their list. It was. Uh, yeah. So it, 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 um, so that was a really big deal. That was a kind of a, uh, regulatory reform and, um, an overhaul of, uh, the, the industry. Um, and it achieved things like creating a committee to, um, really analyze and investigate high potency THC. And it also limited, um, the like I you know certain how much you can have and like a stuff for medical patients and like 
it's there's there's a lot of different aspects in advertising. It covered a lot of things, and and we got that with bipartisan support. Um, it unanimously passed the Senate, and we had great support from the Colorado Speaker of the House, Alex Alec Garnett, um, and it, that was that was uh, a huge win. Um, and another thing, which is kind of a so I'll say that this is a consistent kind of win for us. Um, we have basically been like outspent, you know, like our, our, our side of this issue has been severely outspent by, by pro-legalization forces uh, and kind of just the industry. Um, but we have done a really great job of defeating things. I actually have this pulled up right here. We have a really helpful graph. So over, so basically the money raised for recreational marijuana legalization efforts in the, in, in the decade 2010 to 2020, we actually measured um, by counting up kind of uh, money spent on ballot initiatives and things of that nature. Um, the support supporting legalization, they spent around like around 125 million dollars in that time, while we spent, you know, around 25 million dollars. Um, and uh, another thing was uh, the you know if you count up in the time too, the efforts that have actually passed in states. So ballot measures and bills, this is kind of just like a cumulative success. Um, so in, you know, every single year, there are way more um, victories for us actually than the legalization uh, side, even though they might not have you believe that. So even in 2020, right, there were, there were 2021, four states legalized. But yeah, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota, right? Do you, so, do you know how many? Do you know how many actually defeated legalization bills? Though, like, had them introduced and defeated them? How many were introduced and defeated? No, eighteen. So, the year before that, seventeen. The year before that, twenty-three. The year before that, twenty-eighteen was twenty-two. Twenty-seventeen was twenty-two. And then, if you go back there, twenty twenty-one, the victories for legalization: four, three, one, one, zero. So it's 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 like it's like there's this narrative out there. This this is another thing that I like to stress. Like there's this narrative of inevitability. I mean, I mean the downfall. This is actually one of the downfalls they say of um, of uh, the marijuana legalization movement in the 1970s um, with the rise of normal um, was their kind of they got a bit uh, I guess lazy in the way that they. They, 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 they thought they didn't have to work as hard because they thought legalization was inevitable. And then the parents movement sprang up and uh, they, they really pushed back against paraphernalia and decriminalization and then legalization successfully. Um, it, so I think, I think a similar thing's kind of happening now actually, where like, I mean, they said it was in, inevitable in the seventies. They're saying it's inevitable today, every single decade, every single year, right? But has it happened? No, and actually we've been able to be victorious in you know, 10 plus states, 15 plus states every year. So, so I think, yeah, those are just some things off the top of my head. And you mentioned you were reading off of something off of the website. You mind, I just took a note. Can you maybe send me a link so that folks can check out the infographic you were looking at for the years? Yes. So that is, yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, um, you can just email it to me after the show. It's no big deal. Yeah. I just want to, we just like to encourage people to to read some of the things we talk about, you know, yeah, too often people just say shit on a podcast and, you know. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Um, we, yeah, we have actually, do you know, do you know what I can do? We have, um, it won't have this year's numbers because it hasn't been published yet, but we actually have like a uh, 2020 um, annual report that I, I actually did a lot of work on. Um, so that, I, I believe that graph 
um, is included in there. It might not be, but I, I, I can send you something. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw that on your website this morning, but uh, either way. Um, hey, and by the way, we didn't say that. Usually I ask you that as soon as we start comp- talking about what you do, where can we find smarter approaches uh, to marijuana online? Yeah. So you can, you can find smart purchase marijuana at learnaboutsam.org. Awesome. Yeah. Learnaboutsam.org. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, so yeah, folks definitely check them out. They're on social media and um, everything else. So yeah. Um, yeah, I was reading um, that it was, it's on your Wikipedia page prior to 2020, you led several successful efforts to defeat marijuana legalization in Ohio, which of course is they're doing, I think they're doing stuff right now. They're like 15 K signatures short. I think very, I read 13 something like that. Yeah. Something around there. Yeah. 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 So there it's in question whether or not what's, what's going to happen there. Arizona, obviously uh, they are both adult use and medical now North Dakota. I don't think, I think that's still a no go. I think, uh, you know, I don't think they've, they've done anything since 2018 so yeah and then in, in 20 and then south dakota had a big big thing too was um that was that, that was south i believe yeah where uh where, where the uh they overturned the supreme court um, yeah yeah right overturned overturned the decision yeah south dakota um they 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 they, they passed the the initiative but um they deemed it unconstitutional Gotcha. Well, hey, um, I think a good way to wrap up this show, and it, and I'll try this out myself. Um, are there any points that people that support decriminalization or legalization that give you pause? And and I'll I could I'd be if you I'd be happy to answer the like inverse of that question. People that don't support legalization slash de- decriminalization, what things give me pause in other words what i mean by that is like hmm i think you got a point there yeah know? that's a, that's a, that's a good question um so yeah so i think one thing that for a while um gave me pause because i think i think this is a good answer because it was a learning lesson for me because i thought about it for a long time um so the i i i realized that i was like well so maybe a year ago or so um, that I thought of this, I was like, you know, if marijuana users, like even if I don't think marijuana is the healthiest thing on earth, even if I don't, wouldn't, you know, advocate for its use, if people would use marijuana and not use other substances, like if they use that instead, like, is that really the worst in the world, right? That's what I was really thinking, like, you know, what if someone who was drinking didn't drink and use marijuana instead, well, alcohol is has you know killed so many people. Maybe we would have fewer substance use related deaths if people just smoked marijuana instead. Even even if it wouldn't like even if emotionally they might solve problems or whatever. Right? And that was something that really gave me pause. And uh, so it's 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 funny. Um, that question gave me so much pause that I actually wrote a thirty page research about paper about it, and I'm actually sending my final edits because it got accepted, thankfully, for publication um, on Monday. Oh, congrats, bro. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my, my university's journal um, accepted it. it that, that is how much pause that question gave me that I wrote a 30-page research paper about it. I'm going to have to read yeah. this when I when and if I can. 
yeah, no, I'll send it to you when it gets published. Um, cool. So I'm just doing the final touch-ups on it. And uh, it would like that, that would like be a great world. Like, honestly, like if, if there was a world where there was a drug that wasn't as, as deadly, even though it can be as deadly as like something like alcohol or, or tobacco that people would legitimately use instead, I'd kind of yeah. be for it. Uh, unfortunately, that is actually not how it works. So that's what I learned. So there's a lot more simultaneous use than substitution. There's there's kind of this myth out there that people will, will substitute. And and there might, you know, you might have people listening to this podcast saying, well, I did this, well, I did this, well, I did this. Well, okay, well, there's a lot of anecdotal stories about that. But when mm-hmm. you look at actually like the research on it, it shows that in states that have legalized marijuana um, and there's like, I compared basically like, states that have legalized it, decriminalized it, uh, uh, medically legalized it, and still have it illegal. And I made basically a scale, like a one to eight scale of those of those levels of what your state could be. And I found that basically when you legalize marijuana, um, there's no relationship, um, no statistically significant increase in um, binge drinking or um, or sorry, decrease in binge drinking or like alcoholism in states when you legalize. Actually, the only thing that happens is for people 26 and up. I think it was with binge drinking um, rates actually statistically significantly increase when you legalize. So I I found that that actually wasn't really the case about substitution, um, but mm-hmm. uh, that just doesn't happen that often. But um, that was one thing that really gave me a lot of pause. Absolutely. Well. Um... I offered it so I can, if you'd like me yeah, to, no, I can. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear your opinions too. Yeah. Um, I think you, you, people make great points about the commercialization of cannabis and the fact that they don't care about the product that they're putting out. Um, and that um, because of the fact that they can shop around labs, we've seen that in, uh, in, in many states, they can shop for whatever THC percentage they want. Um, but they can also probably even shop around and, uh, lobby for, as you mentioned earlier, regulations to change so that like the threshold for mold is higher or whatever else, right? Um, we've also seen in Illinois and the United States, pe- cannabis companies are very hesitant to be honest about their use of remediation technology. In Canada, however, they're pretty goddamn open about it. Um, they talk about how they, you know, use, um, uh, different forms of remediation to, uh, cure the product. In other words, if it failed testing, it would remediate it. Right. And so to a lot of people that have heard about this, it's like scary. It's like, what, what I'm smoking, what was a dirty product? Let me back up and say that a lot of the products we use in our day-to-day lives are remediated, uh, meats, cashews, like nuts. Um, lettuce, um, you know, we, we consume foods that are remediated, but the difference is in Canada and the United States, Canada is different than the United States. Um, and that I think they allow, it's like potatoes. They have like a certain list. You can, we can look this up. I always recommend our listeners to, to, to Google things. Um, but the one key thing they also have as a requirement is that you have to label it, right? Say that it's been remediated. Um, and that's actually a requirement that the FDA has for certain foods, from what I've read. 
And it's just interesting that this same technology that's used in the agribusiness sector is being applied to cannabis. And yet they're kind of hiding that they're using it because I know that they think people will freak out about it. Like every cannabis company I've talked to in this state, they will admit to me privately that they use it, but they won't come on my show and admit it. You know what I mean? And so, um, and we've talked to the people that produce the technology. Um, There's a company, Willow Industries. We actually were invited to their facility in Colorado. She showed us this big machine that you dump weed in and it ensures that you're going to pass testing. And so. Really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't, yeah. I hadn't heard of that. I think that their hesitancy to be, to fully disclose their use of the technology says a lot. Um, Edibles, you brought up edibles earlier. This might be unique to the state of Illinois, but edibles and vape pens are most likely to be remediated products because if you, the way the Illinois testing law reads, if your sample fails, you're allowed to remediate the product and submit another sample as a concentrate. And so in other words, more often than not, what edibles probably are is all your failed weed that's been remediated. Nobody knows about it though, because it comes in this clean little pretty looking chocolate bar, right? Yeah, I haven't, I honestly, like I, I uh, it's, it's interesting that you say that people don't talk about that because um, I, I hadn't heard about that being so prevalent. Um, and I, I like read, I mean, like half my day is spent looking for marijuana articles like every single day. Um, we can so, nerd on it. We can nerd out on this sometime, Jordan. Oh, I'll tell yeah. you all I know about remediation. Oh my God. I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, that's no, I, I, don't, I don't see that really getting reported um, on- at all. Just a quick editorial note. I felt like I did this topic a disservice in this specific interaction. I want to be very clear. I have no reason to believe that we should have abundant concern about cannabis remediation technology and its application, or lack thereof. With that said, I do think that it's intriguing that the current set of cannabis operators are so hesitant to be honest and upfront about their use of the technology. If it's no big deal, why not talk about it? And so far, nobody that we've spoken to has been willing to publicly talk about it. And you'll notice I'll say publicly. They'll tell me about their technology and its use in private, but when I invite them onto the show to talk about it, they always find a way out of it. In the show, I'm about to mention Afria, which is a cannabis company in Canada that has made a statement regarding their use of gamma irradiation to decontaminate their cannabis product. I'll paste a link to the statement in the show notes. All right, back to the show. like Afria, I think you mentioned them earlier. Afria has a statement on their website about Ultria. their use. What's that? Oh, I was talking about Altria. Like oh, the- Altria, sorry, started with an A. Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know if you were talking about something like that. Yeah, Altria. Yeah. yeah, I think Altria may as well. There's a few companies though, for sure. We've, we've shared it on our um, Instagram. So I just mentioned the use of ozone technology. They also use irradiation. Scary, right? Sounds pretty scary. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, things like that give me pause. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the general dishonesty of the cannabis industry, like it, it, it's like, you know, here we are, we're starting to acknowledge the notion that THC percentages and everything. Meanwhile, they still sell it all. Um, 
based on THC and they try to, like I said, kind of put it into a triage of products. So indica, sativa, hybrid. And like I say, most, most people acknowledge now that's just simply not, not a way to um, sell cannabis. Um, I had one last thought that I felt was a really good critique of the cannabis industry. Let me think. I'm sorry. Uh, if it comes back to me, it comes back to me. We'll, we'll... Uh, I liked what you had to say in the remediation. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, what was it? Um, hmm. Well, I think this is going to be the first of many conversations we have, Jordan. And as you can see, um, I can approach this topic even-handed as a, even as a person you might consider to be an activist, right? Um, I, I look forward to having more conversations with you because, and, and, and other folks from Sam, because I felt like, I feel like in today's media, it's presented that like there's like two sides and it's binary and it's distilled and like you either choose, you either choose one or the other. And oftentimes we find it's somewhere in the middle, you know, what, what, what the truth is on an issue. And so I feel like we only figure out what that middle ground is if we talk to each other. And in today's media, the one thing that dial that's lacking in dialogue is dialogue. We're not, you know, we're not talking to each other. I, and, and, and that's like, I feel like Sam, right, to, to a, lot of, a lot of people, especially in the pro-legalization side, really misunderstood, you know, people, and, and, and I think it's like we, our organization doesn't fit that binary, right? We don't fit completely one side or the other. And I actually think that makes people a little uncomfortable because we're so used to talking in those such extreme terms and saying there's one side and the other side, and we want to approach it from a middle ground trying to find that kind of middle truth. And I think people want to pin us towards one side or the other really badly because they kind of don't know what to do with us. Um, and 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 that and that that can be said about you know other organizations and other types of issues that might approach things a similar way. So um, I guess personally, I'll I'll end out um, by by saying that you know, and this is I guess geared toward towards your audience members who um, are on the pro legalization side. You know, I. What I want to see is I want to see, a res even if you disagreed with every single thing that I've said on this podcast, you know, I want like a personal, just like a respectful dialogue and more of that to happen between people on both sides. Because, you know, uh, Nicole, we, 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 we kind of talked about this um, off air before, um, but we, I, I think I said to you that this, this people who are involved, whether they're on the kind of pro or anti side are really passionate about this issue because marijuana and marijuana policy is really important to a lot of people for many different reasons, whether it's a positive or a negative force or something in the middle. And because of that, I think kind of tensions can be really high. And so I think we should work to diffuse that and have uh, better conversations with one another and, and, and see if, if, if progress and safe progress can be made. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And to that and to many more, um, we will, we'll end on this. Uh, Jordan, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I felt, I reached out to a few different organizations that I felt aligned with the way that, that you guys were, and I'm not going to say everybody I reached out exactly aligned, 
the point I'm trying to make is that you guys were the first ones to respond credit where credit is due. And I appreciate you for giving me the benefit of the doubt. Cause sometimes people see my logo, the state of Illinois rolling up a joint they're, They just think like this podcast is like, Oh man, let's get blazed, man. Like, and it's like, we did have Tommy Chong on the show and that was my impression of Tommy. But uh, I'd like to think that we can be even handed about this. And um, one of the points I think that, that you, those strongest points that I think you guys do have is that the commercialization of cannabis is not uh, headed in the right direction. I remember what I had to say. It's related to that. Uh, Our, this movement was based in like sustainability and everything else. And look at all the packaging that has been created. Yeah. I mean, whatever happened to the fucking, to quote Bill Burr again, he's like, where's my hemp fucking Crocs in my, in my hemp paper. Like all they're coming out with is like, here's this strain, man. It's going to put you to sleep. And with this strain, you can hold a baby. And with this strain, you know, like (laughs) the environment, I mean, NBC had an article uh, saying that, that marijuana grows were attributable to 13 wildfires in California. I mean, it's like the environmental, it was, I think it was in Massachusetts that it took up like 10% or something like that of Massachusetts uh, electricity. It's crazy. And we've posted pictures of the plastic waste that the industry um, creates. And it just, it, it makes you wonder like where, you know, because again, part of the legalization, there was like this pitch, the legalization pitch was multifaceted. It included you know, the benefits of social equity or ending the drug war and all those other things. But you remember the other side where it's like, man, there's all these industrial uses for hemp, man. We can make fucking cars and we can make fuel and the whole world's going to be a better place. When The twenty the 2018 farm bill, that was what it was all about, you know, hemp, hemp, hemp. And then as you know, like, you know, that that's another one of my issues. Like, you know, it's all about, oh, we just want hemp, just want hemp. And now they're exploiting the 2018 farm bill loophole of like allowing things like Delta 8 you know, and allowing this, and it's like, now people are totally taking advantage of the spirit of the bill, um, but, but yeah, that was a huge thing, right, hemp, and yeah. It's kind of lost in the, lost in the shuffle, it seems like all we're focused about now is the commercialization of cannabis, which like I've been saying, it's like one of the things I agree with you most on, but hey, we're at the top of our time slot, folks, yeah. I hope that you found this uh, podcast, in like, I hope you learned something today. That was the point. I felt like I say, if you talk to somebody who you think you might disagree with, and we agreed on, uh, you know, a few things at least today. Um, and I'm sure we agreed to disagree on others, but um, at the end of the day, that's how you learn. Right. And, and Absolutely. so yeah. it's been great. Thank you so much Cole, for having me on. And, and um, I hope we can talk, talk, talk again soon. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Chillinois, we will see you next time.